Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is about green data centers. And in talking about green data centers, we really get to a point where we think of data centers as an industrial load, as core infrastructure components that have peaks and valleys and demand. And that turns us into talking about the grid as a connected system and how storage can disrupt the way power is generated and and distributed in the United States and ultimately around the world. What we see here is that the distribution systems really do play a huge component, just like networks and the way we assume that networks are available and robust. We have made the same assumption about power generation in in the world and, and the way we produce power to run these data centers. And so they're all tied together. I know that you will see a lot of insights and similarities in thinking about how we solve and build uh, green infrastructure. And this conversation will definitely get you started. I know you'll enjoy it. Just in Ashburn, Virginia, um, talk, talking to um, Equinix about their their what they're doing around sustainability you know, how they're approaching their customers that are talking about it, sort of some of the innovations they're seeing. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done in this area. Just, just um, there's still a lot of people who are really sort of from a, from really on all aspects of it um, are really kind of still stumbling around in the dark. Um, and, and I will, and, 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 and I count myself in that category as well. I don't think there's anybody who has, who has really laid out sort of an end-to-end strategic, not that there ever really will be, um, you know, I don't think it's naive to believe that, right? But sort of an end-to-end, you know, step one, step two, step three, this is what you have to do, um, you know, you know, in order to, to achieve this goal um, kinds of problems. But so it's, it, and there's, I mean, and there's still a lot of people who just, are really uninformed and really just don't there's still a lot of sort of i mean among really intelligent people there's just really a lot of sort of misinformation um um uh and you know it's not like these people it's not like these people are dumb they've just sort of you know they've kind of glommed onto a single article and you know that's you know that's that's you know and that's turned into the truth right um you know it's it's, uh, so it's definitely going to take a multi multi pronged approach. I do feel like, you know, it, it's easy from my perspective to get a little bit um, jaded about what <laughs> we can actually do because I feel like some of the simple. It's not that the, anything is simple. Um, it's it definitely nothing. Everything's going to require work. It just feels like the the work that's going to be required is not people's priority to do. Um, well, I mean that, and 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 this is this is where I think, you know, there you know there needs to be a bit of a, a a corporate reckoning, and around this, which is, you know, there's a bunch of people who you know have the you know their hearts are in the right place, they're trying to do the right thing, right? But at and, and I've said this before, at the end of the day, you know, it's accountants that run the world, right? Right, and. Mm-hmm the rate right, right. as right 
it's those people that are going to make the, you know, that when they go into those board meetings, when they go into those C-suite meetings, when they go into the street strategic planning meetings of a large organizations, you know, making money and, and not spending too much money, right. Is something that is going to carry a lot more weight, something, you know, with a lot of people than, you know, then this is the right thing to do. Um, can, so, can this be, can, I mean, I think about when new technologies come in, right? The story for startups is that you don't, you don't, you don't, you can't enter a business without having a 10 X improvement yeah. over, over the current process. Um, but I, I feel like this is a great, is the enemy, the good, the good here, because if we're looking for 10 X improvements in energy efficiency, not going to get it. We're not going to get it. And, <laughs> you know, you know, but I'm not sure that people feel like a 10% improvement moves the needle. Um, well, this is, I mean, and, and this is, this is, this is sort of in some of my comments among this group, right? When people talk about, oh, you know, smart contracts are going to change the world and do all this other stuff, right? Yeah. Well, unless it's, unless it's, people still haven't articulated to me why this is fundamentally better than handing your stuff to an escrow lawyer and the way and do it, you know, do it the way it's been done for 150 years or 200 years. Right. Yeah. Um, and, fa- and, and it's faster is not actually a very good answer. Right. Um, you know, the, the, we, we're, we're going to have the same problem here, which is, which is, you know, you're exactly right. Unless it's sort of fundamentally moving the needle. Right. Right. right? And it's going to be really hard to convince. I mean, you sort of have to get people over that chasm, especially in businesses like banking and insurance and the really the the big footprint organizations that are risk adverse. It's funny because, like I say, we were out in Ashburn uh, looking at um, what Equinix is doing around liquid cooling. They're doing some of the same thing that, that we are. Uh, we went and we saw, you know, a full immersion tank. And what was interesting because, you know, I'm the technologist out there, right, who's like interested in the new and cool and the whatever. Uh, we had a software guy, you know, who's interested in sort of what the software stack looks like and, you know, working on, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, how data center monitoring would work into all of this. And then we brought our, like, we brought our guy out who actually runs our data center, okay. right? And we don't have a very big data center, right? We're, you know, realistically, and, you know, we have effectively about 10 racks of stuff that runs WWT. I mean, it's a company of 8,000 people. But, you know, that sounds about right. Um, and he was, he looked at, you know, he looked at the Zutacore stuff and he's, we've seen that before in our lab. And he's like, John's like, yeah, okay. I can sort of see this, you know, doing a thing. Um and we went and we saw a full, full immersion tank and the guy did the whole song and dance about, you know, how you pull computers in and out of the tank and how you service them and all you do with all this stuff. And John was like, no way, no how, not ever would we do something like that. Because, I mean, this is just, I mean, the, the, the operational burden, just I don't care how efficient this thing is, right? It's just, it's going to completely destroy, you know, any efficiency right. or any, any ability we have to work. Um, and so there has to, and again, it has to be, you know, and it's like, you know, we're looking at this thing, you know, a, you know, a rack to stuff computers in, right. The, the bent sheet metal 
you know, we, you know, we can get, you know, we buy them in bulk so we can get them, you know, for, 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 you know, for under $2,000, but typically they're around a $22, $2,500 item. Right. Right. Well, the tank you have to put this thing in, you know, it, you know, it's $25,000. Right. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, how much electricity are we, you know, are we going to be saving, you know, $23,000 worth of electricity over the five, over the 10, 15 year lifespan of this device. Right. Cause that, again, that's the accounting question. Right. And it's, you know, these are, you know, they're all completely valid questions um, as opposed to, you know, you know, it's more efficient, right. When, you know, it's going to emit less carbon. Well, it's like, well, it turns out, it turns out the fluid inside this thing, it turns out it's a hydrocarbon anyhow. So, um, you know, right. so, I mean, there's, there's just so many things. And, and, and again, I don't mean to beat up on cooling, but I mean, I mean, I can, yeah. I can, re- I can repeat the same story around, you know, half of the other half a dozen other technologies that we're looking at to go into the data center, right. Everything from DC power to, you know, monitoring <laughs> and, you know, all this other stuff. Right. right. And these are, I mean, Amazon, Amazon claims DC power, you know, is, you know, anywhere from nine to 12% more efficient. Right. I'm and they're converting because, because the first data centers uh, we were, we, I was, I was building were we were putting them in telcos and they were all DC. power. Oh yeah. Tel- um, well, telcos have been dealt DC power forever. Right. Um, and they still are. And, and the, it is undoubtedly more efficient to avoid a whole bunch of, of on, in in machine power converters, yeah. But, but it's one. It's a lot more dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Two, um, it's yeah. It's just it's it's odd. You know, it's, it's yeah. When when somebody equipment. we paid a lot more for DC DC. Yeah. I mean, when you know when you know when some when somebody talks about something being more dangerous than four hundred and eighty volts AC, right? You got to be concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Right. You know, again, you know, um, well, there's Joanne. I am. I was yeah. waiting for the conversation to ebb, flow, and pause. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, again, so, I, go ahead. Sorry, are you talking about liquid cooling? I'm talking about sort of data center technologies in general. That are right. being prom- promoted as um, parts of the solution to carbon neutrality in the data center, right? Which and is, that I mean, which is given the theme today, by the way, <laughs> right? Which, which you know, which given given that you know, I mean, uh, you know, even you know, even some of the best data centers in the world, and I was just at Equinix, you know, they claim their PUE is at one point four eight, which is frankly sucks, um, uh, and you know, I mean, it means 48%, you know, at least, you know, probably around 40, 42% of their power is going into their cooling infrastructure, right? So it's the biggest rock to move, but there's all, there's plenty of other rocks, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, um, it's interesting because one of our clients is engaged in, in doing the power consumption by a virtual twin for large apartment complexes now which is not quite the same as data center, but they have mini data centers for building information maintenance and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, all the automation that's going into the building. And 
the rooms themselves, the mechanical room, the electrical room, and the data center are the three biggest consumers of electricity in the entire 27-story building. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, you put an air conditioner in, you put a you put a, a water chiller in. I mean, they're they're ridiculously Huge. bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, the other thing is, you know, like I say, I was just in Virginia, and that uh, you know, the people we're talking with there is, you know, you know, air conditioning. You know, air conditioning is not a luxury there, <laughs> right? You know, you know, right. you're right. You know, as you know, as much as heating is in you know in uh, in other parts of the world, air conditioning is a requirement to you know to to live there. Well, that's like yeah. what we're doing. What we're doing, and is my sound better? Yes. Now I can actually hear you. Yeah. The it that's the irony with all the miners going up in Texas, right? We have a deregulated grid, so they're they're here, but it's a ridiculous place to run server farms. It's it's really hot. <laughs> um, and so uh, we have we have very strange dynamics going on. I, I still have a vision that you could be you know, using ARM servers and well managing things better and, and literally running a solar, you know, running a solar array, putting your data center in the middle of it and, and actually well, not so, have constraints. So so there are so 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 there are organizations and companies that are doing that. And one of the ones I found, um, and there's others, again, uh, uh, but uh, one is this company called Nextera Energy. Right, okay. who is a who's a what they call a virtual power provider, um, yeah. Um, and virtual power providers, I mean, it can be some of them can be really sort of sketchy on the on the whole carbon neutrality and what is a carbon credit thing. Uh, yeah. But Nextera actually has a really interesting program where they'll they'll build a solar array, they'll put a data center in the middle of the solar farm. And they'll run and and they'll run the data center, um, but what's called behind the grid or or you know behind the meter. So the data center itself is actually not on the power grid at all. Um, and they use, I mean, they use they charge batteries or something like that to to maintain power at night. And their backup power is is the power grid, right? Rather than rather than sort of having an on-site backup power thing um mm -hmm. uh, whether that's diesel or actually we just uh, again an equinex they had they were using they have an experiment where they're using um fuel cells fuel cells powered by natural gas which is its own oh. problem um uh to, as their as their backup power source um and in some cases their primary power source um so it is possible to do it Right. And they can do it. And next Terra, I haven't seen one yet, but I mean, they claim they can do it at, you know, multiple tens of megawatt scale. Um, you know, I'm, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to believe that until I go see one. Um, uh, but there, you know, it's pot, you know, on paper, it's possible. It makes perfect sense. Um, sure. uh, certainly, uh, again, I was at ARPA E, I think last week. Um, there's some really truly innovative stuff being done in terms of long-term power storage uh, from solar and for, you know for solar and for wind. Um, yeah. You know that and that you know and the other thing is you know the the level I've the levelized cost of energy LCOE for for solar right 
it's right now it's crushing it's literally crushing everything else right it's way cheaper to generate electricity from solar than it is from coal right environmental stuff be damned right it's just simply cheaper right uh same thing with wind same thing with hydro right what they're really missing is and they're not missing i mean it, it is being it's it's coming online right is so, you know storage for you know electron storage that doesn't last hours or weeks but last months right yeah um and that is that is absolutely going you know that is absolutely going to be a real thing why why very shortly months, why do you need months of storage because 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 winter's really long in places like canada oh okay so they would you would you would buffer power over for, for a whole season yeah Okay. I mean, Tokyo has a requirement. I mean, so, I mean, like, if you look at a place like Tokyo, they require, uh, they require three, you know, when they, when they look at um, um, power in places like that for, you know, for typhoon season, they want to have three days of reserve. Sure. Right. Right. And that, and you can sort of do that with, with, you know, with lithium batteries. Um but, you know, you look at a place like, you know, like northern Canada or Finland or Sweden, right, where you're you're close to the mm. Arctic Circle, right? Holy crap. I mean, it's dark. It's really dark for a really long time. Um, uh, and, you know, there's tons of wind. And I mean, there's certainly lots of wind in places like, I mean, in Alberta, where I'm yeah, from, southern, Al southern Alberta, right, is known as sort of, you know, one of the bloodiest windy places in the world. Um, you know, it's like Texas that way, right? It's, you know, generating power there from wind is possible. But again, you know, having having that long-term energy storage um, is uh, is absolutely key. There's a, there's a startup, one of the ones that was really highlighted in, at RPE was a startup actually in Menlo Park, which it's a guy I got to go see. I got to go find out who they, I got his name and contact stuff. And then there's some really cool stuff that is coming along in what they call flow batteries, right? Which is where the, uh, the electrolytes are, uh, are liquids and you can literally, you know, keep charge, you know, as long as you have the liquids, right. You can keep charging them and charging them. Right. And you, you know, as long, and as big as you want your tank farm, right. That's how long your battery is going to last. Um, and, you know, they're talking about, you know, city scale batteries with, the, with, with, with that kind of stuff. So, I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me about this type of storage and local generation also yeah. is, that, is that it changes the dynamic for a lot of these equations, but towards more localized infrastructure. Right? Um, we, we, spent, we spent a long time building more centralized infrastructure from a utility perspective. What you're describing potentially enables people to you know, completely upend these, well, these stories. Yeah. Um, I'm less of a believer in that. Okay. Um, I think there is, I mean, I think there is great value in scale, right? Uh, you know, in for, 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 for truly industrial level things, right? We're not talking about you having a Tesla Powerwall in your, in your garage with, you know, and you've got four or five kilowatts on your roof, right? 
you know, that's all, you know, that's all well and good to make sure that you can watch Netflix at night. Um, I'm talking about organizations, you know, like that are taking bauxite and trying to turn light, turn that into aluminum. Right. You know, Mm. that is that, you know, you use electrically powered furnaces to do that. Um, And they consume a shit ton of of money and electricity to do that. Um, But you're not doing that with a couple of Tesla power walls, right? You're doing that with, you know, a truly industrial scale. um, Oh, sure. uh, Power storage, but, but it, but it changes the equation for them if they had practical storage that, because from that perspective, they could then consume power when it was cheap. They could consume power. They could put a big solar array and charge up. Well, they can charge up, charge up for the furnaces. Well, and more importantly, those organizations, it gives them ancillary income because yeah. if they're if they're if they're not using the power, they can sell it. Um, uh, back, I mean, back in back in the whole Enron crisis in in California when they were turning off the power um, in California, uh, my eldest brother was he was part of a group that was actually smelting bauxite into aluminum, um, okay. and. And they were making more money by shutting down the aluminum plant, paying everybody, and selling the electricity to California. Right, their reserves. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. you know, one of my clients is a manufacturer of wind terminals. You know, the the big, uh, and they're working on a process to store that store the energy that you're talking about. Unfortunately, it's a Chinese company, so it may never see the light of day in North America because of trade restriction, but he's selling all over the world because they've developed a containerized solution to take each of the wind farms, the turbines in each farm and start creating, they're doing the testing now. It's, it's an alpha test. It's not a beta test yet. Um, where they've created the capability of storing the power for up to a week. And they want to get to the point that Don was making of months, et cetera, et cetera, because there are parts of China and Asia where you are close enough and it gets cold enough where you're dealing with snow, Tibet, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they're trying to do is tie together the electric railway, you know, the, um, the new railway lines that are being built all over China and all over Asia, uh, which have bullet trains that run on electricity or magnetics, and they need the they need to generate in rural areas the kind of kilowattage that you're talking about for keeping those lines active at all times of the day or night, because they literally want to create new cities out in the rural parts of China. So they're in the process. Of, they apparently have some patent on it but they haven't brought it to fruition yet, but it's been six years in development. I'm not sure how the transfers actually work between the turbine to the container, how it gets from the container into whatever facility, because I think that's part of their intellectual property. But it's it, what fascinates me is they claim to be cheaper than solar on wind. Now, I always thought that they ran neck and neck to your point, Don, but solar up here is still very, very expensive. I mean, I would have converted my house to solar years ago, yeah, but yeah. So, it's a 26-year so, so, payout. Yeah, so, 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 so when I talk about solar being 
being cheaper, right? It it is it is absolutely dependent upon where that solar is installed. Yeah. But I mean, the great joy of an electric grid is that you know I can generate power in Arizona and deliver it in in Edmonton, right? I mean, the North America yeah. grid is 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 integrated. Um, yeah. The you know, and and the same thing. The same thing goes with wind. I mean, with the exception of Texas being its own little special short bus environment, um, uh, you, you know, there's you know there's you know up on the east coast. I mean, the, here in the state. I mean, the the uh, when again at this conference, the the lady who's running the entire state of New York sort of transition to to green power was you know talking about sort of all of the offshore wind. Um, and cause that's, I mean, that's what pays off here in New York, right? Is solar doesn't pay off yeah. here. Offshore wind does. But in terms of like, if you compare the cost of deploying offshore wind in place where that's effective, New York or the North sea compared to where, um, uh, solar is effective, you know, the Southeast United States, you know, the Arizona desert, um, yeah. it's no, it's, it's currently currently. And again, these things are on pendulums. They swing, Right. It's currently cheaper, right? As a as a, to deploy solar and and collect the electrons from solar, um, uh, it's got you know the you know it it has the very much one of the things I've discovered is that it has very much the advantage of having no moving parts, right? And that is that makes a huge difference yeah. from a a maintenance and and a a burden point of view. Right. Sure. You know, you, right. You go off and you dust off the solar panels. It's a great big difference between going in and changing bearings on a, on a, turbine. a three, you know, in, on, on a, on a hundred meter tall turbine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, so, there's, a, know, there's another, there's another thing going on here to me, which is a transformation of the distribution system from High, one variable and high high power distribution, right? What we're talking about could also conceivably transform the system into requiring a, having a much more constant lower load. So if you have storage everywhere in the system, then you're not trying to power, like this is like to your point, the grid is set up in a way that if I generate electricity in one place, we're not actually sending that electricity somewhere else. We're just shifting shifting the generation loads to other places but with actual batteries and storage in the system we could we could literally generate in one place and then send it to another place but we just don't have to do it quickly so we could take advantage of low transmission times to literally rebalance the grid by by storing mm -hmm. storing in other places just like we're doing with wind wind is you know one of the problems well, this is, is you shut it down because there's not enough demand this gives us a place you store that power then you slowly transfer so, it to where it needs so, to go. Yeah. So, so, so that was one of the in, that was one of the big personal takeaways I got from from uh, from from the conference last week is really, really how complicated electric grids are, mm -hmm. um, and sort of and sort of me as a as a as a naive outsider, I always thought sort of assumed that electric grids were actually you know pretty simple you have to worry about you know phase matching and doing all this other stuff um but it turns out it's actually much more complicated than that and that's uh it's almost i mean the one of the things in terms of certainly in terms of renewables in terms of power like there was absolutely nothing innovative shown about solar 
or wind generation at this conference. It just wasn't talked about. Everybody was talking about how to store electricity and how to transmit electricity. That's where the innovation was. That's where at least ARPA was looking at sort of where the innovation problem was right right now right it's like mm-hmm. it's not, i mean they didn't come out and say it but it's like oh yeah we know how to generate electricity we're good at it we know how to you know we've we've invested we've spent enough on solar um there's the crazy people trying to do you know uh fusion reactors and the less crazy people trying to do uh small scale nuclear um you know but you know generation really isn't an issue it's storage and delivery is the hard problem uh right Cur- the, the the current hard problem um and that was sort of, to me, that was really, you know, again, I'm I'm not an electrical engineer. I'm certainly not a high power electrical engineer like that was required the skills for that. Um, that was sort of, to me, to be, uh, you know, quite a bit eye-opening. The I, question I'm, that I have is, are, are we at a point now where we, we really need to rethink the grid? I think there's... In the way it's deep, been... Because it's you know a hundred years old, and it's well, failing what, in so many places. Well, the 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 where there where the people the presentations that I saw about this, it's not so much rethinking the grid, it's the panic in these people's eyes and voices when they realize that they're by the time by the time they completely decarbonize electricity and everything that's in your house that currently runs on something other than electricity, like your car, your stove, your barbecue, Mm. everything right is running on electricity that they somehow have to deliver three times the amount of electrons to every single person in the industrialized world and, and the industrialized world, the members of the industrialized world are growing at about 20% per year. It seems right. right? It's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, so that's the real, I mean, these people are terrified of it, of figuring out how they're going to build a grid that is going to be taking all of these different power sources from what will be new locations. There's not exactly a lot of coal-fired gas plant or coal-fired electricity plants in Southern Arizona that are suddenly being replaced by solar, right? right. It's like, no, that all the transmission infrastructure needs to be built out for that. The storage infrastructure needs to be built out for that. And we need to do it rapidly enough that we continue to meet the demand of you know everybody switching everything to electric and everybody especially in asia as their as their um quality of living goes up delivering electrons to them um Mm -hmm. so it's to them again it's it's not it's not that they don't know how to do it right it's a scaling problem right how do we get to that scale that fast was there anything introduced about wave technology or hydrogen? There was so yeah, there are there turns out there's at least two more flavors of hydrogen I didn't know about. There's apparently white hydrogen, uh, yeah. and there's and there's apparently gold hydrogen. Um uh so that I had to I had to go learn about that. Um it all seemed uh pretty far off at this point. There was a lot of people, there, there was a lot of bets on sort of the hydrogen economy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sort of an unbeliever. Uh, I mean, they had the guy from Toyota North America, you know, up on stage, you know, talking about, uh, 
about Mirai's and uh, uh, they apparently have a couple of semi trucks they've they've you know converted to hydrogen. Um, I'm skeptical. Uh, I mean, hydrogen's a real pain in the ass. I mean, yeah, uh, it's you know it is really really as you know as being having an atomic number of one makes it really 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 hard to contain. Um, like harder to contain than most people think it is. Um, yeah, I I know this from a lot of my experience. Not not my um, not my experience, but going to lunch with the people who who were building um, disk drives with you know that were that had helium inside. Um, you know, it turns out like it was well understood that that was a really good idea. That that's what how how you should you know in order to fly a disk drive head at the you know well you should do it in something like helium. It took them mm-hmm. ten years. It took them ten years to figure out how to weld the damn things closed such that the helium didn't leak out. <laughs> right over yeah. the over you know over the lifespan of the device. Um, yeah. So it is you know well, and, and 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 hydrogen is smaller than that. Right. Well, the the reason that I asked the question is because I'm following a guy. There's a professor at Cambridge University that specializes in resins. And he's done a lot with photovoltaic and other forms of resins and materials. And he's now transitioning from, okay, I can make reflective paint for cars so that they can be more energy efficient. And he's got patents and and the university itself has started to commercialize these things um, that he's been working on for like 10, 15 years. But his latest stuff, and I'll try and figure out how to connect the two of you because it might be of interest to you is um, using his work and applying it to the containerization of helium or hydrogen or any of the newer substances that are being used in climate change slash decarbonization efforts so that he can, he believes that if you, if you can create a liquid material or a gaseous material that you can spray on a container, you can make it sort of zip proof, right? No leakage. And that will propel the industries forward from his point of view. And it makes a lot of sense to me, just like in Israel, for example, and I don't know if you've seen this, uh, there are three highways that are power generating for cars as they're rolling down the highway, it generates power to the engine. And they've been in existence for more than 10 years and have been truly, truly successful. Now they're trying to apply the same technology that it's a compound based in the um, tar used for asphalt and the concrete mixtures. They're trying to apply the same technologies to things like the containerization for data centers or other kinds of industrial uses where you can literally create a self-generating electric sorry, a self-sustaining plant. Okay, well. And I don't yeah, mean well, the kind with green leaves. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, the second law of thermodynamics is, you know, is, is, is unforgiving, right? There is no free lunch, yeah. right? Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I'm more than happy to, 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 I mean, to look at sort of anything. This is, because these are the kinds of questions that I think, you know, when we get to talking, I mean, because and this this sort of gets back, back to the data center discussion, which is, you know, we have to, you know, we have to start thinking about industrial level solutions to this. I mean, certainly, again, I was like I said, I was just out at the Equinix facility in um, in Ashburn, 
holy crap, those things are freaking huge, yeah. right? Like, frankly, bigger, way bigger than I thought they were going to be. And it's just like, oh, yeah, and this is this is one set of buildings we have here. There's another set of buildings on the other side of the river. And then this whole thing is repeated, you know, 25 times around the world, right, at similar scale. Um, again, this is not something where you're going to put up a couple of windmills and a few solar panels and solve the problem. Um, no. Well, but so, there, and there's a there's additional. I mean, what we're what we've been talking about here to me is there's a there's it's generation and distribution because the the data centers that we're talking about are large industrial consumers. So and, can I can I just yeah. pause for a second? I got to please. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but do, no, do they, they are. But do, but do, if do you think about that on us. If you think about that on a localized basis, yeah, I mean, I, I understand your point, Don, about you're not going to put up a couple of windows in, you know, a small, a small solar farm. But if you think about that in a scaled way, localized but at global scale, then each of those buildings might have two windmills and a small solar farm around it times the so number of buildings in the campus times the number of campuses worldwide, so, then maybe you have a step forward. So, so, so I got to run because I apparently need oh. to go catch a train to go, but, but, <laughs> but, 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 but I'll leave you with one, with one thought. So uh, WWT, my employer has uh, integration facilities uh, out in Illinois and there's four, there's, when I looked at it, there were two of them, there were two, there were about two and a half million square feet on the roof. Um, okay. uh, and if we covered all of that with solar, uh, we would get about two megawatts of power, um, okay. which, and uh, the data centers that we ship those things into, the ones that I'm most familiar with, the Citibank ones, um, they're 10 megawatts each, mm -hmm. right? It's a drop in the ocean. Um, yeah. So scale matters. I do get a run, but this has been good. I apologize for, 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 for cutting, sorry, it, cutting it off early. For the no time. worries. Okay. Bye-bye. And I'll pick, pick up the thread because I have, I have questions. <laughs> <laughs> Often. Bye. Bye. Uh, I, I mean, I, I hear what he's saying, but I look at the IBM facility that I used to work in in Toronto, mm -hmm. which is three miles around. Yeah. And there are two wind turbines and the entire what used to be the parking lot is now a solar field. Right. Now they're not generating enough to keep it going on three shifts a day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because that IBM facility is now Celestica. That's one right. of the headquarters. Sure. Um, but it definitely has made some impact. And I think if you look at scale and baby steps, it might be an easier problem to solve. I, because the yeah. two megawatt can be replicated as long as you have the space to do it. And that, that to me, right. We built, and it's funny because I think there's in 10 years, we're going to maybe 15, we're going to be looking at the way we built cloud the same way we, we are looking at the way we built utilities today. We built utilities on this assumption that scale was critical and that distribution was cheap and easy. Right. I mean, I, I was literally in a conversation the other day or on last Tuesday, maybe at DevOps, 
And it was like, well, yeah, oh, no, it was yesterday. I was talking with uh, Keith Townsend and Sarbjeet Joal about right. um, Edge. And Sarbjeet was like, well, just put it in the cloud. Networking is cheap and reliable. And I'm like, it no. is right, right now. <laughs> but, and I think we have the same thing with, with current, with, with, we're already there with, with power where, you know, we're having this data center conversation. We're like, you can't have a data center. If you're thinking current approaches, you can't have a data center conversation without having a grid conversation, which is about generation and transmission. But we have the same problem with cloud. Cloud right now assumes that networking is very cheap, very reliable, continues to scale, um, and, and, and is secure. And the grid is none of those things at the moment. Neither is the cloud. But, yeah. but that's just a personal opinion. <laughs> that, being, right. that being said, see, like, you know, your point of it, where, where I differ with Edge is I think it's the pendulum is swinging the other way. I think local is a far better solution to scale than central. I agree with you. Right? Decentralize it, keep it local, take what you need for where you need it, but have that replicated on that's where your scale issue comes in. Can you globalize a local install of a data center, even a, even a mini data center? And this is where and I, I think I can I can tell you the tech we're working on 100% can do that. But people have to we see an adoption problem where the, the monetization and the funding, I mean, in, in some ways, the VCs are part of, a part of this story. There's a ton of cheap money flowing into reinforcing the cloud narrative. And it'll be like that until it's not. Um, unfortunately, it's the way these things work. Um, but the idea that you're going to operationalize something for somebody else and take that burden from them, the, the current thinking is that, that everybody wants that. That's right. I mean, let's do the same thing with power. The idea that you have to maintain your own solar solar or wind farm and storage on in, on your premises is would be important to people, or would have been ten years ago. Um, I don't think it would be now. I, I think first of all, if you look at the sustainability initiatives of large enterprise, where their head offices are, they want it because it makes them look like good corporate citizens. They're getting tax credits for it, and they're going to trade in the carbon markets for it. So what's the problem? I mean, I'm waiting for somebody to come up with the carbon NFT, which makes the whole system work really nicely and smoothly for everybody involved because you don't have to worry about figuring out those what my carbon credit number is. Somebody does it for you. An algorithm could do it based yeah. on the criteria you feed in. Here's your token. Feed your token wherever you want to do it. I mean, I'm I'm a very big believer that edge is that cloud is coming to its peak, and it's going to rapidly start declining. Not only because of multi-cloud and hybrid cloud and the complexity and the issues related around it, but because if you start looking at the localized version and the rise of the private cloud, yeah. those two things are coming together really, really quickly. And there's nothing that says scale has to be mass scale for every company in the world. Scalability should be corporate directed. So I don't think it's as abhorrent 
an issue as you may believe, because I know in manufacturing where cost is, is critical because margins are so slim, you want to be able to control your own stuff. You want to be able to look at machines that you could lower the power consumption of and still get the right quality or, or save output. Well, this is, this is where I keep coming back to in these conversations, right? It's today's data centers seem to be built on a constant load, sell as much, maximize utilization. And you know, when we, if we line it up with the way power is being generated, then you know, it actually make more sense to have more deeper cycles of consumption yeah. in those data centers, right? Um, yeah, I, I, and this is the thing. I just don't see right now anybody designing for intermittent consumption in data center resources. We have the cloud triggering it, but even the cloud doesn't particularly do spot pricing and there's no signals back to like, and all the spot pricing they used to do, I don't see any real utilization of the spot pricing stuff that that was in vogue about five years ago. No, I think it's gone away. I think they're looking to create some, and I'm seeing this across providers, by the way, they're yeah. looking to create some consistent level of, of, of revenue yeah. across all the cloud inst instances that they've set up around the world to start making that money back and even doing more to say like, this is standard pricing. It's not, it's not going to fluctuate so much so that, that those that are moving back to on-prem or decentralized have a way to, uh, or rather they're giving them an argument to combat that, right? Stay with me. I'm going to make my, my pricing very consistent for you, very easy for you to follow. You're going to be able to regulate this, but the intermittent pricing that you're talking about, I mean, if you're running a half shift versus a whole shift or some specialized product line um, or even converting a factory from a uh, high volume, low mix okay. to the opposite, why wouldn't you want to be able to bring everything down to the bare minimum to keep a factory running, but not necessarily at such high cost? Time of day pricing, number of kilowatts, all of those factors in the data, whether it's in the data center or the enterprise itself, somebody has to start looking at that in a more consistent way. I tend to think the easiest way to do it is with the yeah. digital twin, because then you can visualize what you're talking about. That makes that, that's that just, makes sense to me. I mean, I where I'm I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm imagining a factory that's able to perform basically when the sun is shining, right? It, you have you have you know, you know the sun shines chart provides you with power to run the infrastructure if you're if you if you're high high vol it's low volume high mix then you run the lines that you can run based on what the available um you know there's economic factors but there might actually be power drivers on on what well, you can what you can do yeah well there are power drivers and and the other thing is also what prevents you from alternating between wind and solar what prevents you from alternating between um, natural gas and solar, thermo and solar, or any of them? Why can't you create your factory inflow of electricity to come from multiple sources based on most green, cheapest available, 
and have them alternate. <coughs> well, the only because that's right. If you had story. storage, then you would literally buy. You would you could you don't need a lot of you don't have to run the the full capacity of your plant. You bring in the power to charge your 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 batteries from that perspective at a constant rate, which is much less demanding from a grid perspective. If you if you're like, look, I, this is I I'm going to run this many kilowatt hours completely consistent. Right. The thing that kills us right. today is, you know, you hit a temperature threshold and air conditioners start all over the all over the place. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. But then you also have to look at things like we're in the fourth industrial revolution. Why haven't we figured out how to cool ourselves or cool equipment without consuming that much power? Yeah, Effluents are not hard to find. You don't have to go back to CF, which has been banned pretty much everywhere in the world, right. to do that kind of cooling. There are other ways, whether it's whether it's um, you know liquid cooling, like we were talking, like Don was talking about early in the conversation, or just a better way to insulate the premise. Like part, of, I was reading this thing, and and I don't know if this is true where you are in Texas, but generally speaking, most of the factories that were created in the Southwest of the United States over a hundred years ago, and then throughout, you know, the Third Industrial Revolution, so to speak, have no insulation in those buildings. That's you right. don't build, you don't build well insulated buildings in hot climates because you figure you don't need it, but in fact. A lot of that is what attributes to the use of electricity to cool because you're putting in mm. that much more cooling when if you just insulated the buildings differently and in a more green way, you might save 20%. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking I'll give you, through. Yeah, no. It, yeah. Well, in some cases, yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, the, the places that I've seen, they, they don't insulate at all. They're just putting fan, and they're not cooling the buildings either. They're doing, they're putting up big fans and trying to create airflow, and it just sucks to work there in the summer. Right, right. but but and but that's exactly my point. How much draw are those big fans taking? And in some cases, you have to have cooling just for whatever it is you're making. That's right. Think about how much better those buildings would be if you threw some rocks all up around the inside of the framing. Mm -hmm. and prevented the both the UV and the heat from getting in. Like here, believe it or not, uh, although a lot of people still don't have air conditioning because the summers are so short, it's like kind of a big investment. But, you know, um, closing your drapes does a lot while the sun is shining. Um, we have great insulation in the house, in the homes here because of the cold, but it works the same way for heat. Yet, yet, if you go to the east coast of Canada, which is even colder than where I am, their heating, their insulation is, is heavy, like ours is, but their heating is completely different. They're not using natural gas single furnace with you know some division over the square footage of the house to have two units. They're using either um, electric baseboard heating okay. because they, they're individual units that can be better controlled. And, and a lot of it is like 
taking up square footage on the inside of the home as opposed to on the outside of the home, like my air conditioner is outside the house and it feeds in, they're doing it completely differently because it's more fuel efficient for that climate, which is more uh, damp and raining Mm, and snowing than where I am, where it's more, it's very cold and it's very damp, but it's more cold than it is damp. You see what I'm saying? Like they have a different way of doing it, not because of any other reason than to make them more fuel efficient. And I don't understand why there's so many, like I talk to people in factories all over the U S those buildings were built really shitty when it comes to electrical consumption or natural gas consumption or diesel, not because they're old, but because the building code just doesn't think about these things. Right. Well, and, and the people didn't. Yeah, no, building code is a big part of this story. Interesting. But did you get this um, flood of bad weather? No. That's been going on for the last four days? Mm-mm. No, we've... Oh, you missed it. Yeah, we've been... We've been, we had a, some thunderstorms that came through, but we haven't... Austin's pretty isolated from a lot of that classic, you know, 90, 90, 90 plus hundred degree days. Yeah, no, we've, we've had the heat and the humidity and we had a, a mini oh, tornado. Oh, that's right. Yesterday. Wasn't there like a storm? Oh, goodness. Yeah, that's right. You had yeah, there was a storm day. last week and then we had another, that, that destroyed my, yeah, my barbecue, my pergola and all of that. And there's still trees down and still people with power issues. And then yesterday wow. we had another one. Wow. Well, they haven't put the pergola back up, so we're good. I think things, things are going to be a challenge. I, I would love to see more edge stuff. But. Wow, there's so much to consider when we look at how we create sustainable infrastructure, whether it's moving things to the edge, looking at the technologies that go into a data center, the workloads, the regulations, all of these are primary topics for Cloud 2030. And we want you to be part of the conversation. Please join us at the 2030.cloud, check out uh, one of our sessions, and then jump in. We would love to hear your opinions about green infrastructure, about the edge, about social media moderation, all these future-looking topics that we take on on a regular basis, please come, be a part. Looking forward to hearing your opinions. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.